politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. Folks, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some time be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. C.S. Lewis. And yes, folks, this is Daniel Horowitz of Blaze Media, back in the house for another week of CR Podcast, week two of America under siege. America under the Reichstag. And this is indeed the Reichstag event we are going to talk about today with a special guest. For those of you who thought Friday's show was kind of morbid and a little bit scary and maybe even over the edge, I think based on the events over the weekend, I think now you understand, if anything, I was underselling the severity of the situation. But again, commensurate with hell is always heaven and a sunset is a sunrise. And sometimes the quicker you bottom out and hit rock bottom, the quicker we could be ascendant once again. So we're going to talk about what this all means for us beyond what some of these phony conservatives are talking about, which, by the way, is a benefit to all of this, that we're going to vet them out. And now everyone's going to see who's with us and who's not, and there are very few with us, but that's fine, because it's better to have a few with us than many who are stabbing us in the back. Now, obviously, I just want to get some house-cleaning things together. A lot of you are asking, where are you going to find me? So... I want to make something very clear for now until they get AT&T to just shut off the internet from anyone who's conservative. But for now, theblaze.com is the safest place. There's where you could find my articles, my written content. You just you know look for Daniel Horowitz and then you click on my article. You could see the chronology of my articles. You could also go to uh, the podcast uh, tab. I know a lot of you probably listen to the show from... Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. For now, those have not been touched, but I cannot imagine Apple won't go after conservative podcasts within the next few days or weeks. So just know you could always get it on the Blaze platform. So my writing and podcast is always going to be there until they go to the next level. Um, For social, I'm still on Twitter at Arm Conservative. They took away 15,000 followers of mine like they've done a lot of authentic conservatives. And, you know, we're still on Facebook. Harwood Citizen Sanctuary as well as Miniman Speak Easy. That's the private page that a lot of you have joined. And I recommend you join just so we can get your email. If you can give us your email when you sign up. So that way we know how to contact you when they turn off the lights. We're all assuming we'll be kicked off of Twitter and Facebook very quickly. But in the meantime, I'm trying to make that transition. So again, the blaze is where you catch the show in the columns. I'm still at those places on Twitter and Facebook. We're trying to see where to go. The one thing I just set up is a rumble account. So I'm going to try to put out videos um, and obviously, you don't want to put them on YouTube. So Rumble is a beacon of, beacon of free speech. We really appreciate them. So follow me at at Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary, same name, on Rumble, and you could see our videos. Now, folks, if you want to see me in person, the way to do it is to sign up at constitutioncoach.com. There's nothing better than meeting in person, given how insecure all of the online channels are these days, assuming you can even get on them. So there is no better time to get defense training for concealed carry, practicing to draw and shoot your grip, your stance from the greatest people in the business at Front Sight, Nevada. Come join me February 7th. There's a three-day, five-day training as well. I'll be there for a little bit of both. Um, I'm not going to be there every day, but that is the way you'll meet me. We'll learn about the Constitution from Rick Green at night. 
inside the building in his classes. During the day, we're going to go out in the range, which is pretty beautiful there in the desert in February. Um, there is nothing better you can do at this juncture than learn how to defend yourself and get together with fellow patriots, finally meet the people from this show as well as myself out there. So again, constitutioncoach.com. Space is limited. Time is very limited because they need to know ahead of hand, ahead of time. So make sure you take care of that this week. Now, folks, one of the good things that we are seeing from this purge is the left is telling you who they are scared of, okay? Something very important to remember what's going on here. Sam Adams once said, if you love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsels or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you, and may posterity forget that you are our countrymen. Those are those phony conservatives and phony Republicans that are throwing themselves in front of the left. Please, please. I hate, the, I hate these guys more than you do. Let me back in. But for us, this is going to be a very rough period of time. But the good news is, you guys were ahead of the curve listening to this show for many years. You understood that the Republican Party and the conservative movement were worthless. That the, th this was already stage five cancer. We were never going to retrace our steps again. Because of the complacency and the complacency of these phony conservatives for so long, the left was able to obtain so much power, such a monopoly, so unnaturally, that there was nothing we can do. And the biggest threat to us finally formulating a new solution that spoke to the enormity of the times we live in was getting away from the Republican Party. Well, now they're forcing it. Now they're going to force it. The left is making it that you can't believe in an idol. There is not a single Republican that's even purporting to stand with us at this point. So one thing I always hated, as you well know, is the frog in the boiling water where they would do it very gradually. So if nothing else, I'm actually pretty impressed that they're doing it so swiftly. So there's a lot to talk about the lessons of phony monopolies, or real monopolies, but phony free markets, where they destroy a market and a constitution a hundred times, and then use the market and the constitution against us, and the lessons in that. And obviously... I don't want to lose sight amid all this talk of the big tech crackdown that this is not just about big tech. This is about something much more serious. I told you guys last week that I'm not even scared of BLM and Antifa anymore. I mean, I am, but I'm more scared of government because they have a monopoly on violence, whereas BLM and Antifa, they really don't. Their, their power is finite if you take the government out of, out of the equation. You see, along with the so-called private crackdown is the public crackdown. We're seeing the FBI hunt down people. We're seeing DHS put people without even an indictment on a no-fly list, things they have never done before. Don't lose sight of what is going on. Don't get caught up in, oh, well, Daniel, we're for law and order. You arrest the criminals. Yeah, of course. But that's not what's going on. That's not where this is coming from. This is not coming from some sort of righteous sense of justice and ordered liberty. Because that's why you have Antifa roaming the streets and nothing happens to them. Yet here, even people who are just on the ground, remember, nobody knew this would happen. It was First Amendment. And they're catching people in a video and just arresting them. Not just the people that engaged in violence. That should scare all of you. Durbin is going to propose legislation to criminalize the gathering of any, any conservative. 
Could you imagine? 90% of these BLM things were violent. Again and again and again and again. And nothing happened to them. And we never asked them to shut down BLM as an organization. We just said when they're rioting, immediately clear out those that are blocking streets and, and don't allow them to break private property. If we actually made it uh, an equivalent to BLM, you know what it would be? It would be the equivalent of these guys coming back night after night after night and being able to breach and break and get in and beat civilians and beat cops and get away with it and then get released. Now, I think you all know if they were to come back one more night, (laughs) forget about three, four months worth of this, one more night. I think we all know they'll be ready, the cops, that is, or and, and the federal agents with automatic weapons. <laughs> that ain't happening again, and I think we all know that. I find myself saying that nothing matters until a certain issue is dealt with. I've been saying that for years. And then when I finish formulating a plan on that, something else happens to make that previous issue seem like nothing. And obviously, right now, we have to survive. We have to survive politically for our rights just so we can even formulate a plan. Our options are limited. But we are going to have to think of ways to fight back. And meanwhile, watch very carefully what happens with BLM and Antifa. See, people think like BLM will kind of you know, recede a little bit so as not to raise the ire people that they're so sensitive to violence now. Maybe finally they'll direct their attention to BLM. No, no, no. You you have to understand BLM is not violence. That's speech. They'll be the enforcement mechanism. The enforcement mechanism of the government. Which is why, folks, again, you need to come join me in Nevada, constitutioncoach.com. I'm really serious. Don't just think you're good at target practice. You really need to be prepared for a defensive situation because it is really, really bad. That's what I learned. I mean, I always just practice getting the most accurate shot on target. I never practice the whole drill of defending yourself and being prepared you know, in case you're injured. How do you reload? How do you do tactical reload? So again, constitutioncoach.com. And uh, someday, maybe this week or next week, we'll have Rick Green on to go over just the itinerary. Let me know if you have any questions about the scheduling and the program and how it works. Now, folks, we're, we're talking about important dates. Everyone's going to remember January 6th, but there's not an important date. I'm not saying that if legitimately there were a lot of right-wing people that were responsible for killing Officer Sicknick, then, of course, I mean, in my view, they should get stronger punishment than anything the left believes in for a second-degree murder. The point is, nothing originated on January 6th. The revolutions were March 16th of last year, and May 26th of last, last year. March 16th was the day we learned that when there's an emergency, they could declare an emergency and you don't have constitutional rights indefinitely. May 26th was the day we learned that when you have a grievance that the ruling class agrees with, there is no limit to the danger you could put an entire society in. You could burn down police stations, burn down private property, burn down 300 cities. They caused an estimated $2 billion in damage just from March 26th to June 6th, according to some estimates, and you will get away with it. Not only will you get away with it, you will be glorified. The same alacrity that all these businesses and corporations and tech companies are using to shut down our speech. They harnessed, back in May and June, to promote the violence. And that really has its origin in what I want to talk about with our guest today. In February 27th of 1933, 
the Reichstag. As everyone knows, Hitler's new regime, they were looking for an excuse to sack power. You never do it right away. You need an event. You need an impetus. Remember, it was a relatively free country. We're not talking about Rwanda or something. This was Germany in the mid-20th century. How do you convince people to give you all that power? Well, I need to break democracy to save democracy. And the opposition, they were accused of lighting the fire in the heart of Germany's democracy, the Reichstag. And you see, back then, he already had a leg up because Article 48 of the Weimar Constitution allowed the executive to declare an emergency and basically suspend civil liberties even without a vote of the Reichstag. And indeed, that's what he did with the Enabling Act that he pa- that he, he didn't pass. He implemented it or he had the president declare it. He was the chancellor. He had the president declare it. And they ended right to assembly, right to freedom of speech, which is exactly what they're doing today. Well, folks, our Constitution had a safeguard against this because you can't do that. And there is no emergency exception as Justice Jackson, who ironically, full circle, at the end of the damage initiated, tracing back to the Reichstag event, the Nuremberg trials, he was the lead prosecutor against the Nazis. He understood very well the dangers of arbitrary executive power for emergency use only, of course. And he always said there is no constitutional exception, emergency exception to the Constitution. And guess what? We don't have such an exception. But on March 16th, last year, is when we all slept as a nation. Not on this program. From day one, we didn't sleep. But everyone else did. The same phony conservative movement that was okay with stealing an election openly, openly, using COVID to change election law Well, there was something they did before that. They used COVID to suspend liberty, individual movement, and property rights. The only thing we had was the right to speak out against it. But even that was kind of murky because of big tech. And now, now it's going to come full circle. A governor or mayor could hold a press conference and say they could do whatever they want. So certainly a president could say, look, there's an emergency. There's right-wing terrorists that are going to go to all your houses and kill all of you. And look what they did in the Capitol. They had this prepared so quickly. And guess what happened? Within, what is it, 72 hours, they they, they are on the cusp of seizing power based on this event. You tell me this is not the Reichstag. It's funny. The left is saying it's the opposite. It's like a right-wing crystal knocked. And I'm like, huh? What are you talking about? We're not the ones seizing power. We have no power. We're not the ones censoring people. And if you want to talk about the night of broken glass, dude, there was more broken glass in one block, in one house, of one block, of one city, of one day of BLM rioting than in the Capitol. But of course, that's free speech. Peace is war and war is peace. Which is why on Twitter you're not even allowed to use hashtag 1984. (laughs) That's what 2021 is all about. Or COVID-1984. So that's with that. There's a lot more to talk about I want to get to, but I do want to get to our guest. Now, folks, the only other person who possibly might be more blunt than me in giving you the truth served 100 proof is Rich Higgins. We've had him on the show before. He's a former strategic planner for Special Operations Command. More recently, people have heard of him 
as Trump's National Security Council Director for Strategic Planning. And guess what? He was fired when he warned about the deep state. And boy, oh boy, in the times we live in, wouldn't you want a guy like Rich calling the the plays for you? Literally telling you and warning you what's going to happen. He wrote the memo. He warned about this. He warned that you have limited amount of time and power to neutralize those forces. Otherwise, we're screwed. And of course, those forces weren't neutralized. Instead, our people like Rich were neutralized. And here we are today. Here we are with a Reichstag event, even before the regime took over. Trump is still officially in there because, again, those agencies, they're bisexual, so to speak. They don't change based on elections. They're always the same. So Rich really was the guy that warned me about all this, warned a lot of us. us people didn't want to hear about it. Rich also has some very important things to say about what did and did not occur that afternoon last Wednesday. So with us today is none other than Rich Higgins. Rich, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me back. It's amazing that the last time I had you on, we did a show on gaming out and planning opportunities for Trump's second term. (laughs) So first off, (laughs) I just want to know, Rich, What went wrong in your thinking? We knew that they changed election law. Why did you still think he was going to win and what happened? Well, I think a big part of it was um, you have to see everything that's transpired over the past five years and sort of um, an ongoing political warfare cycle, right, where you have this um, upstart sort of revolutionary movement and you have an establishment class, both parties, uh, trying to suppress it. And um, going into the summer, it was always curious to me that, you know, as BLM and Antifa were burning down these cities, you know, the mask mandates, the, um, you know, the non-response response from the Republicans, how much focus was placed upon the riding? I mean, I certainly fell into it myself. You know, we were all very much focused on what Antifa and BLM were doing. Quietly behind the scenes, though, as you mentioned, um, election laws were being changed. Uh, governors were bringing down these draconian mandates on the masking and so on and so forth. But they were also opening up this Pandora's box uh, of election fraud. And, um, you know, candidly, myself and others, we just didn't pay close enough attention to it or recognize the dangers associated therewith. Even the people who did and, and moved to a, you know, in a, an attempt to stop it um, were largely thwarted by the courts or, or found to not have standing on a Supreme Court famously just, you know, going 4-4, punting it. Um, you know, as, as I look at the entire series of events uh, of the past year, it's 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 almost difficult to comprehend this happening inside the United States. It's, you know, a hidden fight that was largely informational has now become tangible in many ways. And we really saw that uh, manifest itself last Wednesday. No, exactly. So I want to get to those events, but just as a prelude, the lead up to it, um, you know, Nazi Germany largely began with the Reichstag fire. Uh, Hitler was elected four weeks before, and that was the pretext used to seize power. But there was a pre-existing, I don't want to say event, but Article 48 of the Weimar Constitution was already there even before Hitler that did give the president arbitrary power, executive authority to declare an emergency and then suspend the right to assemble, right to habeas corpus, the right to free free speech. And that was in place already. So the fire kind of lit that fuse both physically and uh, politically, and they were able to utilize that. In America, right, we, I- right we, just to complete the thought, so in America, we don't have a Weimar constitution. We have a real one, except there was an event that took place March 16th, 2020, which is when we had 15 days to flatten the curve, which was we could declare an emergency and life, liberty, and property don't exist. So to me, that is the Weimar moment. Now we have the Capitol Hill event. Take us, take us from there. I think it's really important in what you're saying that people you know, keep in their own minds so as to be able to understand these events, I, I like using the Germ, you know, I like using the Germany pre-war years because 
people are familiar with the terminology. It's current. We know people who fought World War II. And I think when you look at it, you know, your draw from the Article 48 of the Weimar Constitution right into the COVID attack. And you know, people are always talking about how communist, Chinese communism, Chinese communism. First off, the Nazis were of the left. The communists are of the left. China is very, very closely aligned due to the, you know, the supremacy of the Han Chinese, et cetera, with much of what we would have seen in you know, pre-war Germany, you know, the vitalism and so on and so forth. There's a lot of that in China, certainly within the party itself. Within the time frame, though, you know, if you, the, the thing about the Reichstag fire is the Reichstag fire was used um, to set the conditions for what really was the, the hammer to fall, which was the Enabling Act, which was you know, basically um, to give Hitler you know, five years of unlimited power. You know, effectively, the cabinet could dissolve the legislature. They did. Uh, and then subsequently, a series of events. You know, we've, been, we've heard a lot of disinformation trying to confuse, I think, the timelines associated with these things. But you have to understand the Reichstag fire as prelude to the Enabling Act, the dissolution of the legislature, then the Night of the Long Knives. This is where the Antifa guys are going to be in for a shock because the hardcore revolutionaries of the left and the global socialists will kill off or take out Antifa. They will turn on them for sure. And then that leads into you know, the follow-on equivalent would be like Kristallnacht, where the Jews were systematically hunted down across Germany. We see you know, within the left here today uh, a militantly anti-Christian um, you know, ethos within these globalist socialist groups. So you know, the, the historical parallels are definitely there. No, they, they, they for sure are in a very scary way, because, again, I think I, I was never bought on to this, that this could happen in America. But that was before 2020 when I saw how quickly nine months worth of arbitrary executive power could just govern our humanity, our faces, our image of God. You can't walk around without covering your, your your face with a burqa. I mean, we knew America was profligate. We knew America was hedonistic. Never thought they would su- surrender their liberty just from a libertine perspective. Um, but but here we are. They They won all that without firing a shot. So now it's not even a jump for them to say, look, there's an emergency. There's right wing terrorists running around everywhere in every city. Um, you know, and they're going to come and, and come to your home and they're, they're a threat and we need to restore democracy. And therefore, so what I find interesting is there's a little bit of a nuance nowadays, the way society is versus the way things were in Germany in the 1930s. But they're, they're, what they don't do is they're not going to dissolve the legislature. So they'll have Durbin. Durbin's talking about introducing legislation to go and basically criminalize just assembly i mean just straight up any any you know conservative oriented protest itself is deemed a riot now and you cannot assemble and we all know they're not going to pass that legislation nor do they have intent to they don't need to that's a signal to get people acclimated to the idea and then the executive just implements it just like we saw with covid and with everything else i mean nothing really passes congress anymore it's a joke so they'll probably they won't be officially dissolved um but what we are seeing from Congress and Pelosi is the Reichstag moment. So let's talk about what you think happened. Now, obviously, none of us are A, in denial that it's impossible out of millions of millions of MAGA people that you could have right-wing violent people, right? I mean, we all understand that, uh, albeit certainly much smaller per capita than what you have on the left. And none of us deny that if... You know, anyone, whatever their persuasion is, goes up to a cop or a civilian and bashes them on the head that they should be prosecuted and, and frankly, locked up longer than the left believes in locking up people for second degree murder because they really don't believe in that. Uh, They let them out of jail that we don't believe in. But there's a lot more that went down than just a bunch of right wing people getting out of control. Could you take us through some of your proofs piecing together how this came about and where they're headed with it. Well, I think the first thing we have to understand is what was their intent, right? What were the what were the goals of their operation? First off, you know, the timing of their operation is really interesting. You know, President Trump hasn't even, you know, hadn't even finished his speech at the time that the riots began, the first breaches of security perimeters initiated. And when you go and you look at the videos of those breaches, there are clear agent provocateurs present in that crowd. 
one of them going so far as to take off his jacket, which he was wearing, which was like this white winter coat, takes it off, and all of a sudden he's in black block. He turns around his MAGA hat, which is a, you know, a, a signal which Antifa had published in the past that they would use when they were doing these types of false flag events. And it's important for you know the listeners to understand that agent provocateurs, you know, I mean, three or four agent provocateurs in a crowd uh, can really, you know, they can get crowds in the thousands you know, riled up. And you'll recognize them because they're usually the most confrontational with authority. Uh, they're the ones that'll be throwing things, screaming, yelling. They'll oftentimes dress provocatively uh, so as to gain attention. Um, and so you see you know, multiple instances of these agent provocateurs. But getting back to the, the what do they want? Who do the people behind this thing want? Well, obviously, they, they wanted to end the investigation and the debate about the fraud, right? Let's let's never have that enter into the congressional record. Well, they succeeded. Yeah, and, and I, I want to just stop you right there because um, you're making a, a forgotten point. We've all forgotten. It was actually a really nice debate. It started out. We had a couple minutes of it for Arizona. And I felt, you know, Paul Goser and these guys and Steve Scalise, even I'm not even a fan of his, but I thought, you know, he made a pretty good case. And look, the Democrats rigorously debated it. And I the, the irony is it was actually a really nice exercise in democracy for all the talk. It actually started out pretty nicely and it would have been a pretty it would have been very powerful. And I think I understand what you're saying with that. Just the debate alone, it wasn't going to succeed. They didn't have the votes, but that marker would have been laid down. Right, and they did not want that. They did not want that in the congressional record. Secondly, they wanted to vilify MAGA, right? Uh, clearly, there's a, an ongoing hostile intent by both parties to try and uh, portray Trump supporters as you know, right-wing zealot, white supremacists, all this other nonsense. And then, the, you know, I think the most important thing and what you see carrying forward now with impeachment, what Nancy Pelosi admitted to on 60 Minutes last night, is that they want to prevent Trump and prevent MAGA from rising again. Uh, which is what now this impeachment is about. It's about following on the same, you know, ongoing attack. You know, the thing, to go back to your COVID point, it just kind of popped into my head. It's really important that people understand that the weaponization of public health uh, and public health victims were used in pre-World War II Germany as well. Um, this isn't a new tactic for them. When the Jews were rounded up and put into ghettos, a large part of it was because they said they were a public health nuisance. It was for the greater good. Uh, so just be mindful of that. And I, when I see people wearing masks today, I, I just see them as the, you know, the new swastika, if you will. Uh, and Christians today are largely the new Jews. Um, and I think you know the patterns are really starting to become into, you know, come into stark relief. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and by the way, really Rich, Rich, um, you, you, I think your point was even more on target than you realize. So the Christians are obviously the larger target. But you know what's interesting? There were religious Jews in New York. Remember the zip codes a couple months ago? Um, Cuomo and the zip codes, code red. Yeah. The red area. Yeah. I mean, the you guys are spreading this. I mean, COVID doesn't spread on its own. It can only spread because there's Jews spreading it who aren't wearing masks. Um Man, that, 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 if that's not a scary analogy. Yeah, look, look, we, we have a hard time, I think, sometimes accepting the horror of what we see emerging in front of us. Or we just, you know, we, we want to downplay it. We want things to go back to the way they used to be. But, you, you know, war is unforgiving like that. Um, I'd rather be wrong uh, and, and hyperbolic in my assessment uh, than, than to, to miss it. And to be caught by surprise. So some of the things I see, you know, coming down the road here is clearly the January 20th date is going to be a big date. Uh, and there will be myriad other dates that will emerge over the next couple months that will become significant for reasons we don't know yet. Um, there is a geopolitical component to what's going on in this domestic fight, um, you know, vis-a-vis China, the One Belt, One Road initiative, the fact that you now have a de facto Chinese agent going to occupy the Oval Office. Um, I even saw today that uh, Nancy Pelosi has the China Daily being promulgated throughout the House of Representatives. I mean, it's they're not hiding what they're doing. Um, and there's an intentionality behind the fraud that belies the nature of everything that's transpired, which is, and we haven't talked too much about this publicly because it hasn't really been able to get out there yet, which is, we know that the Venezuelans and the Cubans and their intelligence services were deeply involved in the penetration of our election, our electronic voting infrastructures going back to 2003. 
And we know that the Chinese bought into several of the holding companies that own those, you know, that own those electronic voting platforms. And I think that, you know, any person worth their salt would want a, a fair, comprehensive investigation of those machines and of those companies that are pushing them forward. Perhaps even that, you know, they may be acting as agents of a foreign power. Yet, you know, no such investigation has ever taken place. And then we find out the other day that uh, Ratcliffe puts out that the intelligence community is hiding the Chinese influence. I mean, you know, you really can't tell the American people just shut up and stand in the corner. You know, 75, 75 million people aren't going to do that. And so it's clear there are major, major issues happening here. So I want I want to get back to where the 75 million people go. But first to just go back. When you talk about agent provocateurs, are you saying, in fact, that, you know, this whole thing was provoked? um, There there was no element on the right that was planning on attacking the Capitol? I mean, because I think we've seen there's it almost seems like at one end, people kind of walked in like they do in a typical protest. I mean, the illegal aliens, when they have the dreamer things, they're forever having their sit-ins and chanting. And it's not outside. They're let in. They're always let in. And many times they get pretty aggressive too, and they, you know, get in the they they have these sit-ins in the congressional offices. So you know, you had people kind of walking in, and and now they're criminalizing those people and hunting them down. And then you saw at the west end of the Capitol is where it seems like um, you had that violence. Everyone's pointing to that video, obviously, where it appears is the video where uh, Officer Sicknick was killed and stomped, and you know he was dragged down. What what is your assessment of that? Well, I was told that that video wasn't actually Officer Sicknick. Uh, if you have different, you know, I'd like to see that. But but you know, from from my standpoint, within the crowd, okay. So you have a you have a tense political situation. You will have people that are going to be you know, willingly participating in these protests. Some of whom will be in you know, I'll call it more enthusiastic, okay, perhaps in a negative way. You also, within those crowds, though, can have paid informers, paid protesters. Okay, there's cert- there's certainly a white supremacist Nazi element, a small one, but the yes. FBI has so many confidential informants inside of it. I question whether or not they were perhaps using some of their CIs as agent provocateurs, huh. which is a known tactic. Okay, you have other informers inside BLM and Antifa, which we know were present, like this guy Sullivan from Utah who was arrested or detained, interviewed, and then apparently released. That and he was right next to Ashley Babbitt, right? Correct, when she was killed. He was standing there. He was also the one screaming about guns, guns, and they killed her, and they killed her, clearly trying to agitate the crowd, clearly trying to create a violent incident. But so much of what we see in the media is just, um, you know, like this guy that they uh, filmed him carrying his, you know, he had the flex cuffs, you know, they go the, the, the flex cut image crawling through the gallery. Um, you, know, you know, the New York Post put out a piece today talking about how he was, you know, he went to the insurrection with his mom. You know, so him and his mom went there and, and he did have a taser on him, but it had been taken away. So, you know, the, the, the rhetoric from the media, from the establishment is, you know, being ramped up as high as possible to justify their bringing forward the domestic terrorism slash enabling act equivalent to go after MAGA. Um, you know, and I, you know, as as I looked at many of the videos that I saw online, there were clear agent provocateur operations going on where, you know, you had trained leftist provocateurs walking up to police lines with their hands in the air, you know, in the hands up, don't shoot position. That's clean. That's trained leftist, you know, agitator behavior. Uh, you just heard them say um, there were there were. Um, moments with the crowd where the crowd was you know, using leftist chants where clearly the provocateurs had lost uh, some of their um, some of their situational awareness. That's not to say they weren't right wing or, or I'm not even going to call them right wing. I'll call them white supremacist, left wing, Nazi types in the crowd doing the same type of crap. And then people that get caught up in it. Right. They just get caught up in the crowd. I feel very bad for Miss Babbitt. Um, I, I, I think that that was one of the worst uh, shoots I've ever seen in, in war zones and police shoot anywhere. I mean, you literally have a police officer five feet away, undercover, um, stepping in to, you know, f- to make sure he shoots her right through the throat. Um, when well, what do you take? So, so, so what do you take of that? Because it, you know, obviously 
I've been a defender of law enforcement for years, and I've always said in this program, certainly all throughout last year, is that, you know, when you're a cop and you have a wild crowd running at you, even if they're not armed, I mean, A, they could be armed, but even if they're not, they could beat you to death. And if you feel threatened, you have the right to shoot. I mean, you know, I always feel that way. And, And certainly you see kind of those videos of the people at the gates. I would have, that's where I would have expected them to shoot, and I would have totally backed such a shooting um, because you know you're surrounded by a wild mob, but this was random. It was a very controlled environment. They randomly picked one person, one shot. So usually, if you panic, you know your 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 life is in danger. You just start shooting. It was like it was like a sniper. It was like it reminded me a lot of Vicky Weaver, the lawn Hirochi, whatever that dude's name was, the criminal FBI guy that's still uh, running loose today. Well, I think that the that look, Mayor Bowser. Mayor Bowser owns a lot of what happened, but you know who really does is Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi, uh, because it's my belief that it, it will, you know, history will show that they uh, directed the security stand down, that they purposefully um, created an environment that was unsecure um, with the expectation that the crowd would be allowed in. They were, or they would agitate their way in through these agent provocateurs. They did. And then, you know, once inside, they would be used, you know, to be vilified and targeted and, you know, to show these, you know, horrible MAGA people. Um, We also know that Bowser was directly involved in telling the Defense Department, we have the letters that show it, that, you know, they don't, not only did they not want supplemental security, any supplemental security that was to have been provided by the National Guard or anybody else had to be confirmed by her first. Uh, That sounds like an operation to me. Uh, and I, you know, I, I have no illusion that the FBI will ever investigate it, but I'm about 99% sure that's what happened, is that there was a, this was a Reichstag event. It was scripted for all the reasons we talked about, and that, you know, we don't live in the America we used to think we lived in. So you're saying while well, all these people, friends of ours that we know, went there, um, and, and it's funny because anyone I spoke to who was there they actually came back and told me, I mean, none of them even saw this. I guess they just weren't there. Um, they were farther away. And they just said, they they just sensed despair. Um, and, and the people they were with, it wasn't, they weren't wild. They weren't even even so angry. They were just despairing. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't, it wasn't a riot. I mean, in that sense, it, you know, it was those people at the gates there and whatever, and and I think you're right. It's some sort of a mixture of the provocateurs working with those white supremacist type of groups that are always evident in small numbers, but it doesn't take many to do that. Um, you're also very astute in pointing out that there's probably more federal agent, um, you know, penetration of those organizations than there are members relative to like BLM and Antifa or Islamic groups. You know, they're they're just obsessed. And and we, we learned that with Ruby Ridge, with with uh, Randy Weaver. Right. I mean, like they obsessed about the guy and harassed the guy. And it was just it, it just didn't make sense. It was so disproportionate. They're just fixated on on these organizations. Um, you know, I'll never forget. I, when I was a kid, I never understood, like, I never I never saw a neo-Nazi before. You know, I just never, you know, I walk around openly as a religious Jew and I the only you know I've been harassed because of my beliefs before, but it's never been by someone who's white. I'll just leave it at that. Um, you know th- those people definitely do exist, and we saw in Pittsburgh it only takes one to to do such a thing, and they do exist. But like they'll be aware of when the population of these guys grows from four to five in some obscure place, while you'll have like five hundred thousand Antifa and BLM running loose, burning three hundred cities. And and that's you know that's fine. So I think that's a really interesting assessment. Uh, my question to you is, how could they have known? I Meaning, you're you're telling me that the mayor and Pelosi and McConnell would have known that it would have devolved into this because our most of our people didn't really see this coming. I think you. Um, well, I think what they were trying to do, like I said, is. The people who were at the Stop the Steal event that uh, the president spoke at were not the same people that were in the crowd at the Capitol. The timelines just simply don't add up. Okay? The president was still speaking when the first barricades were breached. 
the president's crowd, you know, if had they stayed through you know, to the completion of his speech, would not even have been arriving up on Capitol Hill until just before 2 p.m., by which point, um, you know, the, the riot had largely gotten out of control, at least at certain points. And I think so many people were there not knowing what had happened inside because, you know, cellular communications were spotty at best. They didn't have comms, so they're, you know, they're standing outside the Capitol not realizing that a couple hundred protesters had gotten inside and were, were running around. Now, the other question I have is about the police orders to allow them in. Um, that just, I mean, just there's so many questions in the command structure, you know, in terms of the deliberate decision-making process that resulted, let's be honest, let's resulted in a, the murder of an unarmed veteran um, that resulted in, you know, the, the possible death of this police officer, although I'm getting still very spotty um, evidence related to that. I mean, could, could you just elaborate on that? I mean, we're hearing and then another guy died too, another cop, or is that a suicide? Yeah, he he committed suicide, and I mean, I, I'm 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 wondering what he knew and why he did. You know, I mean, was he was this a guy who had been depressed in the past, or did just you know, did being part of the riots and seeing what was happening did that cause it? The other thing about this police officer who was allegedly hit in the head with the fire extinguisher, so he was a huge Trump supporter and a veteran, uh, but his family made it sound like he had some sort of a uh, aneurysm or uh, you know some sort of a brain event. Um, so, so you're saying that which, you that, know, that cop that's that's um is on the steps or of of one of the en- entrances that's on the ground that's not him. That's what I heard. It's not him. But again, you know, it's caution to your listeners. I'm not 100 sure. certain. So the point is, we um, can't yeah, believe well, anything I'm, these clowns say, and that's right, that's, that's it, part it, of the problem. Exactly. And, and exactly. Like, they, they, they lie so much we can't trust anything anymore. And here's the sick irony. They're talking about how, you know, you know, conspiracy breeds violence. And then they literally take down any videos of real things that happened and they censor every dog thing. And we're like, hey, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. I mean, this is they, they want this result. They're ensuring this result. You know, it's like the article I put out today. I put out an article today. I was like, they got it all. Like, like it's literally like a 250 pound boxer, not only beating up a hundred pound woman, but getting his entire motorcycle gang to hold her down. Like, why would you need that? Like, you got everything left. You you control everything. Why do you need to stamp out any last vestige of anything? And what are you hiding? One last thing that, that people need to keep in mind is that, you know, that this operation, you know, in relative terms, you know, how do you know, this operation in terms of political warfare operations or influence operations is relatively simple. You know, you get a couple of white supremacists in the crowd, you get some Trump supporters in the crowd who are angry, you throw some Antifa and BLM people in there, it can be just a couple hundred. Those first breaches of the perimeter at the Capitol were 20 or 30 people. It wasn't crowds of thousands. It was very basic. And, um, you know, a couple of key guys that really stand out to me, that individual I mentioned who takes off his jacket and then tackles the police officer, you know, starts that day, clearly appears to be a trained agitator. Um, but I think it's really important that we see the January 6th events in the context of the summer, you know, the summer of the riots leading into the election fraud, all as a part of a much larger operation where these international socialists out of countries like Venezuela, um, Cuba, China uh, are working with domestic political entities of both parties uh, to achieve their globalist ends, right? As part of the wider Obor strategy, the managed decline of America. The thing that I keep falling back to, and I wonder why nobody's talking about it, is we know Black Lives Matter is deeply, um, deeply influenced by Freedom Road Socialist Organization, which is Chinese and Chinese money. We also know that they have a very close relationship uh, with the folks down in Maduro's regime in Venezuela. Um, to include training on elections. We know that BLM was intimately involved in a lot of the ballot stuffing efforts. We know that Black Lives Matter claimed credit for staffing the ballots after the after these events. And um, you know, it you know, now we know BLM was involved in the riots up on January 6th. And yet to this point, BLM, Antifa, and all of these various communist anarchist terrorist groups are still unchecked by the power of the federal government. And, uh, you know, we're running into the point here where, you know, we're turning into Venezuela where we have these Chavista colectivos running around on the street. If you're listeners, you've never looked into the colectivos, you should check them out because the, 
the intertwined nature of these leftist groups like BLM uh, in Venezuela, um, they're very, very closely tied with a lot of the criminal elements. And that's something I'm very concerned about going forward here. Yes, yes. And, and especially when you look at the fact that they released over a hundred, well over a hundred thousand people from jail and prison just from the COVID jailbreak, not including the hundreds of thousands that weren't un- locked up initially because of COVID, and then that was built off of gosh, four to six years of prior jailbreak, just from both parties embracing criminals and deincarceration. Um, I mean, and we're and and look, I mean, we don't have to speculate. We literally had at least four thousand excess homicides. Um, last year over the five-year average, which, by the way, would work out to be somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 excess black deaths from homicide, which, of and course... that's under a waterfall of printed money. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to print the money forever. So while they've weaponized public health, they've weaponized information, they've weaponized big tech, um, I fully expect them to weaponize the economy against us as well here shortly, uh, whether that be, you know, the, the crushing of the dollar um, and there, or, or you know, myriad other things that they may or may not do. But we need to get serious about this and soon. And uh, I frankly have no hope for the Republican Party doing anything. Uh, so we're on our own. Okay, so that's, the, that's where I wanted to end this, where we go. You've given us a lot of Jeremiah. Do you have any, any uh, Ezekiel? Do you have any, any hope? <laughs> I mean, well, well here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here is what I... I think we could all agree is good news. The question is what we do with it is that in the past, I envisioned this happening to a very small splinter of people. And and that's typically what they've done. They try to really marginalize a tiny group, but what they're basically do, and, and they did this in the early nineties. They talked about the militia a lot. And these people largely were never even Republican voters. What they're basically doing is they're, They've, I've never seen them do this before, ever. Israel did this with Mayor Kahana, but you know he was small back. There was a small party. This is like the equivalent of trying to shut down the Likud there. Um, now, they're not going to shut down the Republican Party because they need it. That's the false flag. But I'm talking about these are basic Republican voters that they're, that they're roping in. We're talking about tens of millions of people. How do they successfully marginalize so many people and... Do we have strength in numbers to fight back? Uh, see, I, I don't know if their outcome is necessarily to marginalize a, a small subset in order to you know, lay a baseline for power. Or, um, you know, if I were assessing the indicators and warnings, what I have, you know, just through open source and you know, what I can glean from the media, um, they seem to be moving to some sort of a civil conflict scenario, which appears to be the preferred outcome, some sort of a civil war you know, ethnic conflict type scenario by which, you know, they'll be able to uh, seriously diminish U.S. power, right? Um, well, what do you mean by civil I war? I don't, well, I see them, I see them, um, you know, I see the left and the Marxists, uh, you know, creating a de facto counter state within the institutions of power. And that would mean that it will force us to create, uh, whether that be through some sort of secessionist movement where the states seek to establish their own yes. uh, form of governance uh, separate from uh, the federal's, you know, the federal system, or uh, you know, they intend to have like, um, you know, the worst case scenario would of course be you know, some sort of an ethnic conflict breaking out. Um, you know, saw some of that in Bosnia 25 years ago. Don't want to ever see it again. So. It's funny because you almost seem to be saying something a little bit different than I was gaming out earlier. I was picturing that it's not going to be so much a civil war between MAGA and BLM or something like that, that it's going to be the government. I mean, you know, the government is going to directly crush MAGA. You're saying you see more of a street fight with, you know, between different groups than like a Waco Ruby Ridge scenario. No, I see MAGA looking for political agency wherever they can find it. So if the social contract with the federal government is broken, right, for MAGA, for the people that support MAGA, they're going to go someplace where they feel safe, whether that be the creation of their own, you know, the creation of their own new thing, a movement, which would be dangerous, could be, it could become out of control, depending on who's leading it and steering it. 
does it seek you know does it seek sanctuary in some of the states um you know particularly some of the states that came forward as part of the pennsylvania lawsuit that the court wouldn't hear um there are a lot of ways that this could break and you know i mean i'm completely guessing right now and i'm uh, but but these are the questions we need to be asking and i would encourage people to listen to what you know what their federal um, the federal elected representatives are saying and then listen you know listen closely and but pay attention to what they're doing and then also start paying closer attention to what's going on at the state level um because so much of you know what the soros movement has done in particular has been about bringing this attack in at the states oh yeah and so uh, so we we you know you have to understand i write and you you alluded to this at the beginning of our interview I write a lot about the Maoist approach to warfare, and you know, big big part of that is the segmentation and the incremental nature of a of a socialist takeover. The willing to recede, to give battle when you can, to be as aggressive as possible, but to never overstep your bounds. I think we may be lucky that the people here are overstepping their bounds too quickly. That's what I I, I said that before I brought you on. I can't figure that out, Rich. That they've always been smart to like butter people up it's a couple of people and now they're just like they're out of control and that's what i'm thinking like you they're they're forcing they're basically taking that you know that patriot movement i mean i'm younger than you but i i still remember in the early 90s they're taking that group and they're turning it into 75 million people they're the ones doing it right it's exactly what they're doing it's a very good analogy i i think i think um What's what I'm looking for? You know, there was a really interesting interview. I think it was in Ben Rhodes's book. Um, and you know, Ben Rhodes's book is a very interesting read for your audience if you've never read it. I really like to read what the other side is talking about, thinking about. Uh, and Rhodes's book is called, I think it's The World as It Is. And um, there he gets that he gets that title. He's a pure Marxist, Alinskyite. And he has a very interesting take on Obama. He talks about discussing uh, the results of the 2016 election with Obama. And one of the things that Obama said to him, at least according to Ben Rhodes, was, um, you know, maybe, maybe we, maybe we came a little too soon. Maybe we pushed a little too far. And uh, I always like, I remember reading that and thinking to myself, too far for what? And now I think, you know, what we see is some of that, right? Like they, their understanding of President Trump is my understanding of President Trump is that he is the leader of a counter-revolutionary movement, you know, where these international socialists have led this revolutionary movement and reject, you know, rejected the American political founding. The counter-revolutionary movement is actually the Tea Party, become MAGA, President Trump, the Patriots, right? They're the guys trying to, you know, reestablish the constitutional republic. It's really an amazing political dynamic to hold. Oh, okay, so final question, Rich. Where does this head? What happens to Trump? And in your view, is he is it better? Is it the best outcome that he leads it, or is it the best outcome for our purposes if we care about the cause that he kind of recedes? My my preference would be to see him. Um, yeah, you know, I'll use John Eldridge wrote a book, Wild at Heart. I think it's a great it's a great uh, book about kind of Christian thought and leadership. And but in the book, he talks about the evolution of man from the stage of the king stage of his life to the sage stage of his life. And I think you know President Trump, you know, come what may, will be most powerful transitioning to the sage and the kingmaker. And and to recede would do you know one really good thing for the wider MAGA movement, which is it would force them it would force the movement to identify new leaders, plural, many of them hopefully. Yes. And also it would take away one of the main targets that the left uses to vilify MAGA, which is you know they they use that visceral hatred of Donald Trump to smear the movement itself. And without that, it would be much harder for them to kind of keep the cloak over so many people's eyes. And I, you know, I see just in the past 48 hours with what Twitter's done and the censorship that's happening there. Um, that's really, that's really awoken a lot of independence, you know, because a, a, a legitimately elected president in a free and fair election doesn't resort to this stuff. No, exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think, I think that's the good news. Like we're saying, this has gone mainstream, but you can't, 
I, I, I've always been troubled by having it defined by any one particular person. And, and it's not just Trump. I, I'll never forget my father. He was a, tr- a, a pro fanatic. He would go to all those United We Stand uh, meetings. I went with him as, as, as a kid. And, you know, he was just so into it in 92. And a couple of years later, when Perot ran again, he always said the mistake was that Perot didn't give it up to someone else. And, you know, it just he just wasn't it's obviously a different story. You know, he wasn't vilified as much and he wasn't the same type of person as Trump. But it's true of a lot of movement movements. The guy who was the impetus for it often can't be the guy to take it past the goal line. Um, and you, you need you need the relief pitcher. Yeah, there's a great book about that. If you've ever read Eric Hoffer's book, uh, True Believer, uh, fan- fantastic explanation of how mass movements work. Uh, Eisenhower recommended it to understand you know, some of the causal uh, factors that went into the creation of World War II, which was the collision of these huge you know, mass political movements. And I see so much of what Hoffer wrote about as cautionary and that Eisenhower recommended reading, you know, cautionary about World War II. I see so much of it happening here in America today. Man. Oh man. That's uh that's scary. Well, hopefully now that people are off social media, maybe they'll have time to read more. Where could people find <laughs> your thoughts? You can, you can find me on Twitter at, at Rich Higgins underscore DC. Uh, I will be going over to Gab here shortly. I'm not. I'm not up on. Well, I was on Parlor, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to be going there until I get sorted out. So, and uh, we also have. Well, we're all in the same boat. Yeah, we also have a website if you want to check out some of our writings. Uh, we'll be doing some periscopes there. It's unconstrainedanalytics.org. Unconstrainedanalytics.org. Definitely check it out, unconstrainedanalytics.org. Rich, thanks so much again. Folks, we went a segment extra there, so we are way out of time. Till tomorrow, stay safe and keep the faith.